Welcome to the Sense of Soul podcast. We are your hosts, Shanna and Mandy. Grab your coffee, open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. Welcome. We want to thank you for listening today. And Mandy, guess what? We have listeners that are listening all over the world. Denmark, yeah, Spain, India, Australia, Brazil. Oh my gosh, I want to go visit these people. I know, energy (laughs) energy has no distance, and we get to see that, and I'm so excited that we're reaching people that is all over the world. Yeah, you know, that's amazing, because when we first started this, we said we were going to let the universe just take it and land on ears, but I never thought it'd be ears of people that far away. I know, right? It's awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us, and we hope that you enjoyed our last episode. We had so much fun with our friend and guest, Steve. Yes, actually, you know what? I listened back, and it sounded like me and Steve, and you had too much fun for such a important, very serious topic on addiction. And so I just wanted to add that people, it is a very, very serious uh, topic. Steve and I uh, have fun with it because we've been in recovery for a long time and because we're happy and we've seen the other side of it. But if you struggle with addiction, please reach out for support. There are tons of support groups and sober living homes, rehabs, all those things that we talked about out there. You are worth it. Right. And today we're going to be talking about another serious topic. We'll be looking at those who are on the flip side of addiction and one can really lose themselves on this side yes they can i've been there right we allow their problems to become ours we become obsessed with their addiction we lose our self-love our self-esteem we allow their addiction to even control our emotions and our lives we think we can put down demands and rules and force them to change And often we do become as sick as the addict. Yeah, you know, I was writing down some of the symptoms I had when I was addicted to other people's addictions in my life. And some of those symptoms were very similar to the ones that I had when I was in my own addiction. I felt like my immune system was down, I had brain fog, I had a loss of appetite, I was constantly worried and sad. There were days where I wouldn't nourish my body. I didn't sleep well. I, even at one point, Shanna had hair loss. I was constantly run down, depressed, tired. And you'd mentioned obsessed. I was obsessed with their addiction and finding out what they were doing and if they were lying and calling them out on it. And it got to a point actually where I had a very negative view of people and a lack of trust in people. And I started to isolate. And I have to tell you that it got to the point where I even felt like I wasn't being a good mother. I was letting these addictions that other people had affect me to the point where it was changing who I was and I didn't like it. Yeah. Being on the flip side of an addict will really cause codependency, which is a behavioral condition in a relationship where one person enables another person's addiction, poor mental health, immaturity, irresponsibility, or underachievement. What, do you have anything to add to that, Mandy? So codependency to me would look like when you constantly are focusing on someone else and how they can meet your rules or needs rather than focusing on taking care of yourself. Yeah, they even have a codependent anonymous that's called CODA. Whoa. And yeah, it's a 12-step program as well. So codependency is a real thing. I mean, you can quickly feel your life spiraling out of control if you don't 
acknowledge it and get some help. Well, and you know, I've seen codependency is very much being a pattern. A lot of people are brought up that way, raised that way. It's a pattern in their family. But you can get control of it. There's also Al-Anon that you can go to. And our favorite book, Codependency No More. Codependent No More or Facing Codependence or Breaking Free by Pia Melody. One of the best things I ever heard in an Al-Anon meeting was the three C's. You didn't cause it, you can't control it, and you can't cure it. You know, we are not the cause of somebody else's issues. We're each responsible for our own lives and energy. The only thing you can do is focus on yourself. There's not enough love that you can give to someone else that will make them healthy. You cannot make them want to live. You cannot make them want to be sober. You are powerless over their problems and their issues. So the best thing to do is let go and let God and just know that this is not something you can control. I know for me, I'm an empath. I think that lots of empaths that are not protecting themselves can easily fall into codependency because Mm -hmm. they want to fix everything. They Mm want to save and heal everybody. So you cannot cause, you cannot control, and you cannot cure. That's right. And I'm here to tell you people that as a person in recovery, I will vouch that all those are true. Now, listen, Mm -hmm. I would have tried to make you think that you caused it because that's what we do. I would have tried to make you think that it was all your fault. So keep that in mind because we're really good at making you think that you caused it. But the reality of it is that is us just deflecting. And, you know, that is one of the characteristics of a codependent is taking the blame for other people's actions. Some other ones are that you might tend to be attracted to people you think you can rescue. You might also find that you feel hurt when you're not recognized for your efforts, that you constantly need approval, that you feel guilty when you're assertive, that you have a compelling need to control others, that you lack trust in yourself, that you have a fear of being alone, difficulty adjusting to change, poor communication. So, I mean, those are just a few. Shanna, can you think of anything you want to add to that? Giving to receive something, and that is being codependent. You're, you're trying to control a situation. Mm-hmm. And that, at first I looked at codependency as, oh, I'm the victim here. But actually, codependency is a form of control. You are trying to control another person. I think when you're codependent, you actually make yourself feel like, no, I'm not trying to control them. No. I care. Right. It's because I care and love them so much. Right. But the reality of it is... Yeah, it's a delusion if you think that you can actually love them enough, do enough, if you think that you can change their addiction or the way they, they are doing There things. is absolutely no one that could have loved me enough to want me to get change. It was me who had to do it. I know. Yeah. Unfortunately. And in many ways, this turns into enabling. Like, okay. you don't even realize you're doing it. Well, no, I'm not, you know, participating, drinking with him, so I'm not enabling. Well, that's not just the only thing that is enabling. So let's talk about other ways that you might be enabling that you might not even be aware of. So I looked up the definition of enabling, and I found this. Enabling is defined as doing things for the alcoholic that they normally could and would do for themselves if they were sober. Now, here's where it gets tricky. 
there is a very fine line between enabling and helping and supporting. And it's so fine that it actually took me years to comprehend this because it's so confusing. Helping and support is doing something for them they couldn't do when sober. So for an example, say your alcoholic son can't pay a bill on his apartment because he got fired for drinking. Well, you would be enabling him if you paid his bill. Okay. Now, if your son came to you and said, mom, I've never done a resume and I need you to help me to do one. And you sit down and you teach him how to do a resume. That's helping and supporting him. I mean, because if you're always making it easy for them, then they actually never learn. Well, and for example, if you like call them into work, if you're cleaning up all their messes, if you're making excuses for them, if you're trying to hide it from people for them, then you are enabling. enabling. This is a hard thing to do because... Sometimes we feel like they're a reflection of our family or of ourselves. So you'd, you you want to hide it for them because you're worried what other people will think. Right. But the reality of it is you have to detach from that because enabling is not going to get them help. No. The second you quit enabling them, they will start to fear what is ahead. And a lot of times it will push them to get that help they need just makes it a little bit harder for them. This was a hard thing for me to say, but and a lot of people look at me like I'm really mean. But I learned that all of these things and consequences that happen to them are actually called victories. Now they don't feel like it, but it's those things that you don't bail them out of help them to hit the bottom so that they'll actually want to get help. So they don't seem like they're victories, but they really are because it will force them to Yeah, just don't make it easy for them. Yeah. That's all. So, I mean, one time Kurt was told, if Mandy gets in the car again with those kids drinking, call the police on her. Because if he doesn't, he would be enabling me. Right. Or if they're too drunk to go to the liquor store, don't give them a ride. Yeah. Don't Don't take them. them. Don't take them. Sometimes this can really, really turn into toxic abuse. Emotional and mental abuse can be something as simple as just being manipulated all the time. What's some examples of emotional and mental abuse that people might not realize that that is abuse? Gaslighting is a form of a psychological manipulation in which a person seeks to sow seeds of doubt in a targeted individual. So it makes them question their own memory, their own perception, and their own sanity. It's actually really scary because I can remember at times thinking, am I going crazy? I would be told, you're a drama queen, you're making things up. Some other things you might hear someone gaslighting you say is you're making accusations that it didn't happen that way. You're a liar. They'll try to minimize your thoughts and feelings. They'll tell you you're making up rumors. They will deflect. They will deny, deny, deny. And they will just straight up turn it around on you yes. to where you feel like it's you all are, your it's all your fault you, and you're the one. Yeah, and you'll actually feel like you're losing your sanity and doubt your intuition and your trust in people and in yourself. You will constantly be apologizing to people yeah. because you feel like everything's your fault. Gaslighting is is a narcissistic personality trait too. It is, it is and. For listeners out there, if you think that you might be in a relationship where you're being gaslighted, I am begging you to research and educate yourself on it because it will break you. And I'll even read you something that I wrote to show you that from the dark places that I have been, I really truly came out of this. 
If you go to mysenseofsoul.com, Shanna shared this, and it's a very powerful writing. I do not belong to you. I belong to no one. I have my own soul, my own life, my own mind, body, and purpose. I am on my own journey. I walk my own path. I make my own choices, and I am in control of my own emotions, thoughts, and actions. I choose what I want. I can support and protect myself. I am enough. I am allowed to care for myself. I don't have to do for anyone except for my children. You are not a child. I cannot make you happy. That is your responsibility. I will not let you put your unhappiness on me. It is not mine. Your behavior is a result of how you feel about yourself and what's inside of you. I have peace within and no one can steal that from me. I will protect myself and my self-worth what I will give you, though, is your space, space to discover healing and peace for yourself. I will also give you compassion. I see you. I see your suffering inside, but it's yours. I cannot and will not take your pain and suffering. Only you can heal yourself. It is not mine. Wow. Yeah, after seeking therapy, Al-Anon, CODA, reading books, I was able to come out of that and feel free. I'm going to go out on a whim here. I'm going to read it as the codependent before help. Not all of it, but a section. I belong to you. My soul is part of your soul. We are in this life together. We are mind and body as one, and you are my purpose. We are on this journey. We are on this path. We make choices together. We are in control of each other's emotions, thoughts, and actions. I choose you. I choose to support and protect you. You are enough. I don't have to do anything for anyone except for you. I cannot make myself happy without you. We are each other's responsibility. Wow. Okay. I mean, I have the chills right now just reading that because that's probably truly how I would have felt. I would have too. If you are getting abused, get help. If there's children involved, you have got to get out of this relationship. Sometimes we stay in it thinking that it would be harder on the children to leave. But if there's physical abuse and people, verbal and emotional abuse can sometimes be worse than physical. So don't minimize that because they'll try to minimize that for you and tell you, oh, you're just overreacting. You're just sensitive. You know, reach out for help. So, for instance, say that there is a situation where there's some mental abuse going on and you're engaging and it's getting very intense. Now, I know for me, detachment was the most important thing that I learned. In the context of the Al-Anon program, detaching with love is a saying that I really like. Yeah. Because detachment sounds kind of like rude or ugly. Like you're just going to leave someone. People, mm-hmm. Yeah, an addict doesn't actually like that word at all because they no. feel like you're leaving them. Yes, or and that's separating. scary. Mm-hmm. So in the context of the Al-Anon program, detach with love. It is the idea that the family has to let go of their loved one's problem, not of the person, but of their problem. It gives you permission to let them experience any consequences associated with their drinking or drug use and focus on your own health and well-being. Detaching with love means letting someone be who they are while protecting yourself from their consequences. If you don't detach, you will find that you're going to experience anxiety, resentment, lack of sleep, constant worry, a lot of those things that we talked about before. If they don't have consequences, they're going to have no reason to quit. So detaching 
also gives them time to reflect on their consequences. You know, the thing about detaching is it was uncomfortable for me because I had never done it and it felt like extremely hard. Yeah. But let me just give you a visual that someone gave me once. Here's the addict and I have my hands up and I have one hand up and then here's you and you're like right in their face rubbing up next to them and there's all this friction. Mm -hmm. So there's no space between the two of you. Right, yeah. So when you detach and walk away from the person, then it gives them time to sit in their own shit and reflect upon themselves. And here's the other beautiful thing that happens. You're getting out of the way so that God can come in and get in that space and work on that person. Yeah. Because if you're in each other's face all the time causing that friction, there's going to be no space for the universe and for God to come in and help. And then it gives you space to and decide, do I need to make stronger boundaries? Do mm -hmm. I need more self-care? Yeah, so Al-Anon teaches that detachment helps families look at their situation realistically and objectively, thereby making intelligent decisions possible. And if there are children involved, you need to teach them detaching as well. And detaching will get you all of that clear-minded, healthy, and available so for them. This, so this is what that can look like. You know, mm -hmm. you and your child go up to the room, shut the door. Because if you're covering it for them, then you're enabling. Well, not only that, can you imagine how confusing it is for a child who can clearly see that there's a problem here and you're pretending that it's not. So it's best just to be honest. If you feel like you have to remove yourself, you need to have a safe place. And this place can be up in your room, it could be outside, or I mean, if it's if you're in a dangerous situation, this could be at a hotel or at a family or friends. You can gather all of your energy up in this moment of detachment and examine your boundaries, your self-care, and shift your focus from them and back onto you. So detaching is so important. I feel like having a safe place to go to will help you be able to successfully detach. Mm -hmm. And you'll have to know the level of what a safe place looks like for you. It could be meaning leaving your house. It could be calling your Al-Anon sponsor. So I wanted to read a daily devotional, Touchstones, a book of daily meditations for men. <laughs> <laughs> men that's really weird anyway i guess i guess so today it says sit loosely in the saddle of life which is robert lewis stevenson sitting loosely in the saddle is an image of detachment for us detachment doesn't mean we stop caring it means we have an inner wisdom telling us what we can control and what we cannot when we go to a meeting and hear fellow members struggling with temptations to return to old behaviors, we need to detach. When family members or friends are engaged in an addiction, we need to sit loosely in the saddle by caring, but not protecting them from the results of their behavior. Sometimes close friends will be off base in the way they talk to us. We practice detachment by not being reactive to the person, but being responsive to the inner message of what kind of man or woman we wish to be. I changed that. We can't control another person's behavior toward us. Our inner security will never come from how someone else behaves. The most helpful thing we can do for someone is to listen and care. Then we need to be ready to let go of the outcome. I today will accept the limits of my control over others. I will care and let go. 
Wow. Well, and Sam, what are we dealing with here? When a person is engaging with an addict, one that is actively like drinking at the time, a lot of times they don't even remember anyways. So I always thought it was so funny. All of the times that I sat there and argued with someone who is intoxicated and then the next day them going, what do you mean? Seriously, I, I just remember. got so tired when you said that. <sighs> if I could just take back the years of energy yeah. that I put into arguing or trying to show them the side that I wanted them to see, right. I would have so much more energy for today. <laughs> so what can you do? Well, here's how I do it. And this is just my suggestion based on several different techniques that I've learned throughout the years. Being able to be present and examine my thoughts when engaging with another person that is intoxicated has been so empowering. Mm -hmm. Taking just that first deep breath will bring you to the pause. Allowing yourself to take control and be able to choose how you react. Shifting your energy back home to yourself ask questions like what am I feeling within my body is this another person's pain that is now arising and provoking me into the reaction that I'm feeling both emotionally and physically hmm. do I have power over this do I have control of this is it mine am I responsible can I change this take that breath pause notice how you're feeling what your body's doing you know, is your heart racing because, you know, you're starting to get agitated, anxiety, and breathe into that space. You know, give yourself some self-love in that moment. But I guarantee if you pause and you examine what's going on with your body, you're going to feel it physically. Connect with your emotions. What am I emotionally feeling? Am I mad? Am I about to cry? Who's controlling those emotions? Is the pain of another person controlling your emotions? Well, take back control right then and there. You control your own emotions. You know what happens when you start breathing. You're starting to, you know, produce more oxygen. You're starting which will to... give you more clarity, which will calm you down because you probably will have adrenaline rushing through your body. Right. Well, and then something you told me before that was absolutely beautiful was then when you do this, that sometimes you you actually don't even hear the person. It's almost like an outer body experience. Right. You go into higher self. It's amazing what you find in this space. Many times when engaging with an addict or someone who is mentally stressed or ill, when you bring yourself to pause and become present, I'm noticing that the, it's is not there pain? them. Is there it's addiction? pain and addiction mm. coming out. And so then, then where do you go with that? I feel compassion for them. I do. And I hear their pain. I see their pain. You know? So this is huge. Yeah. So this is taking a moment to go within. So you have that bubble, mm -hmm. but then you go within even deeper into, you're inside this bubble and then you go within yourself. Yeah. You bring awareness to what you're feeling. You pause and then within that space, you, you'll find, you sometimes find compassion. Well, and if you can stay in the present moment, guess what? You have freed yourself from their pain and their addiction, their emotions. Mm -hmm. And I also like to throw that bubble of protection around me during that time. You know, Eckhart Tolle always talks about, about the pain body. Right. And we'll eventually probably do an episode on the entire pain body. Yeah. But it also has helped me with um, when I'm in these situations, I also know... Are you reacting right now out of your own pain body? So it's not only having awareness towards their pain body, but having awareness about my own pain body. 
Yeah. You know. I mean, I think that the most important thing is if you can connect with what you're feeling and experiencing, connecting with how you physically feel, emotionally feel, and asking yourself, where's this coming from? Mm -hmm. You know, is this mine? Yeah. Am I feeling this, this anger, anxiety, and this pain within me? Is this mine? Did I walk into this room with that pain? Is this person across from me that's engaging with me, putting that on me, and I'm taking it? Something I learned one time that was very humbling is no one can make me feel anything. I know. I choose I know. how to feel. I know. It's a hard thing so to understand it that, is. but it is true. When you are able to bring awareness, you see it. Yeah. So no one can make me feel angry. No mm-hmm. one can make me feel sad. No one can make me feel anything. No I one can make you choose. feel loved or happy yeah. either. Yeah. Yeah, I get to choose how I feel. So once you have paused long enough and you've put protection around you, you become aware that it may not be your pain that you're dealing with and that you may even find some compassion there, you're no longer feeding the addiction. Mm-hmm. You're no longer feeding the pain of another person. Mm-hmm. Because guess what? If you're always engaging with that pain, engaging with that addiction, I feel like that is another way of enabling, enabling. it oh because you are feeding it. Yeah, the more huge. you fight with it, the more mm-hmm. it's the same thing. Yeah. So you are actually feeding it. You're making it grow. You know, like I've said with energy, the, you know, where your attention goes, your energy is flowing and making it bigger and greater. Yeah. When that makes sense. You know what? And, and take that deep breath and just squash it or you start going and it, it could turn into the biggest shit Whoa, show wow. in the world. Oh, right? God. And then you just wasted all your energy. And they don't even remember after. <laughs> <laughs> so you are powerless over their addiction. If you know that and you just shift your focus back onto you, then you actually will gain the power and control over your own reaction. So if you don't care about yourself, if you don't feel like you are worthy enough Mm -hmm. to take that moment for yourself. Mm -hmm. Well, self-love, yeah, I mean. So you need to find something positive to put your energy to that is yours and not anybody else's. So you put it into yourself. Yeah, (laughs) right. Yeah. And an important thing, I knew when I had self-love, I became very very protective of my energy Mm -hmm. and I think that that was probably the biggest awareness of self-love that I had because I was like wait a minute I don't want to be around negative people I don't want to want to put myself in toxic situations because I can tell that it lowers my vibration Mm -hmm. so I started to use protection skills and boundaries yeah boundaries are huge I also found that I had to put myself first And when I did that, I had to really dig myself out of that hole of just feeling like crap all the time and bring myself back to health. I had to start treating myself better, nourishing my body, reaching out for help, doing the things that you were talking about, Shanna, reading books, reading self-help, listening to podcasts and using techniques to help me like meditation and and boundaries. I mean, yeah, the book Boundaries is a great book, and they even have a workbook that goes with it. Yeah, we did, did it together. Mm-hmm. And you know what? You could get that book because you need boundaries with everything in life your children, your workplace. So it's a book that can be used not just in dealing with addiction, it's just an amazing book that I think everyone should own. Betty Ford Foundation defined what is a boundary? A personal boundary is a physical or emotional limit that people set for themselves as a way to safeguard their overall well-being. 
Healthy boundaries help people define who they are as a way to ensure relationships are safe, supportive, and respectful. Mm-hmm. Unhealthy boundaries are thoughts or behaviors used as a means to manipulate or control relationships to keep people away. Which is codependency. Yeah. So why are these boundaries important? Because they support and protect your life and they make sure that you're aligned with people that agree and align with your morals and values and happiness. So boundaries are so, so important. And boundaries are about you. Yes. So they're not about making rules for others. They're about making rules for yourself. And when setting boundaries, just check your intention. And sometimes boundaries can be verbalized and sometimes they can be silent. For example, one way that I've just, I've communicated boundaries in the past was creating a space like we talked about in a past episode and just authentically sitting down and coming from a place of love and compassion and using the word I instead of we. Right. You're making the boundaries for yourself because mm-hmm. we cannot control another person. So you're trying to control yourself by letting another person know these are my limits. Yeah. And I love that you repeated that and we probably should repeat it again. If you are using boundaries to control others, then you are manipulating. So check yourself because I didn't know the difference. And I had a therapist who told me that the boundaries that I had visualized and were expressing were actually selfish because what I was doing was imagining the stone wall and was like, you all stay the fuck out there. Yeah. That's my rule for you. Mm-hmm. But really boundaries are to protect yourself. So she said to picture a white picket fence and not the stone wall. And this white picket fence would allow the good in through the pickets, but keep the bad out. And I really loved that because I never pictured it that way. I I pictured it in this very like abrupt controlling way. Mm -hmm. And there are ways to make boundaries so that this person can still be touching you and bringing good to you but you are protecting yourself from the bad so let's give some examples of boundaries so like mandy said i put up a boundary for myself that i know that i'm going to pause Mm -hmm. before i engage Mm -hmm. further in a debate or a conversation with someone who is intoxicated And actually, for myself, honestly, I've even gone further than that. I don't engage with anyone who is intoxicated. Yeah. And that is a boundary of mine. And everyone around me Mm -hmm. who drinks is very respectful of that. So that works for me. Mm -hmm. If for some reason that was my boundary and they didn't respect that, then there would be a consequence. Yeah. And the consequence would be something that I decide that I'm going to do. The consequence would be maybe I detach and leave the house. Or... I detach for the night and go up in my room. Mm-hmm. So it that's that consequence is going to be for you to decide, and it's on it's on you. You can't punish another person. So the consequence is about you and what you decide for yourself. That will happen when those boundaries are broken. Yeah. So a boundary that I am thinking of as an example would be. Sometimes if the person is really in their addiction, they're going to not react well to your healthy boundary. They're going to, you know, feel attacked. So if you know that that's usually how they react, then you need to come up sometimes with silent boundaries. So for example, um, just removing yourself to go upstairs 
or um, like if you have a family member that drinks in the evening, don't take their call. Yeah, they'll, they'll get the picture. <laughs> you never know. They might not. But sure. just only talking to them in the morning. So then you know you won't be engaging with their, right. their drunk side of them. Yeah. Um, you know, boundaries are important in every aspect of every... Of our lives. Of yeah. lives and in every relationship. And I like to teach my children to use their own voice with their own boundaries as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and if they're younger, I think it's perfectly fine for a parent to mm-hmm. make those boundaries for their children yeah. as well. And I've had to make boundaries on in recovery for myself. Like I, you know, make boundaries to protect my sobriety. Mm-hmm. And then I also have to make boundaries being on the Al-Anon side of it as well. Right. Like you will not drive with my child if you're drinking. Mm-hmm. That is a boundary. That is a must, people. Yeah. And if they don't respect that, then you will not be driving my child again. Yeah. And you stick to it. Do not make any boundaries or threats that you cannot stick to. So make sure that they're reasonable. Yeah, because otherwise they'll realize that you're not sticking to your boundaries and they'll keep walking all over you. And guess what? Don't have high expectations on that they're going to fo- follow them the first few times because... It's, there's a learning curve. If you have been constantly being codependent and enabling a person and then all of a sudden you decide I'm going to be strong and I'm going to put down these boundaries and there's a learning curve. They're like, what? You always did this for me. You're yeah. not going to now. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. but they will, you'll get the hang of it. Well, get the hang and of you'll it. know when you need to be stronger in it. I can remember there were some people in my life where I, they would said something very disrespectful while they were drinking and I had to say, you will not speak to me like that. Yeah. I'm removing myself. Bren Brown wrote, Daring to set boundaries is about having the courage to love ourselves even when we risk disappointing others. Yeah. You and know, and that's that. hard for people who have lived a codependent life. But the reality of it is, that's theirs, yeah. not yours. So you really do have to let them sit in their own shit. Yes, because they want you, you to sit with them. They do. They're like, come here. I don't want to sit and I don't want to be in pain alone. Yes. And seeing that is the kind of stuff you will see when you're able to be present. Mm-hmm. You know, the hate and the disappointment and the... You're a manipulator. You're a piece of crap. You're a shitty dad. You're just a drunk. Told, yeah, they've already told themselves those things. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing you could say that will hurt them that they haven't already. And you're already. just wasting your own precious energy. Yeah. It's almost like they want to fight and argue and engage during these times because they feel so bad in it. Well, it fuels our addiction, too. It truly fuels it. Yeah. I mean, we wouldn't have a reason to drink if everything in life was all peach keen. You know, it hijacks people's lives and happiness. It did hijack me on both sides. I got just as sick as the addicts in my life, and I didn't really believe that that could happen. I remember walking into an Al-Anon meeting and they told me I was double blessed. And that was another time I wanted to punch (laughs) him in the face because I'm like, I do not feel blessed right now being on both sides of this. Yeah. But when you go through the work and you have been able to see the promises of AA and Al-Anon come true, Mm -hmm. then you get what double blessed means. I didn't understand what freedom meant. And you kept talking about freedom and the shift. felt so free. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, is there's no going back. Yeah. I cannot go back to that person. It's almost really hard for me to even picture that person. 
You mean your old self? My old self, yeah. yeah. Because I can't go back. Like, once I was free from this and I gained self-love and I put down boundaries and I learned how to pause and control my own reactions. And you want to know what? For our listeners, I would just like to say it sounds like it's so much. But I'm telling you right now, one step at a time on this side too. Because when you do it a few times and stick up for yourself and put down some boundaries and all of this that we're talking about, you will find that it becomes part of you. And that freedom is like you don't want to let go of it. And then you see how they start to shift and it becomes an actual way of living and it becomes pretty easy. And here's the thing. Nothing in my life, my situation has changed. Alcoholism is still there. Mm -hmm. However, I have changed. Mm -hmm. So when you change... Everything around you changes, too. It, it does. does. It's like a miracle. It really is. <laughs> yeah, if I can oh do it. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's such a miracle. If I can do it, anyone can. So I really challenge you to do different. You know, go to Al-Anon meetings. Get a therapist. You know, get some Reiki. And anything that's going to connect you back to your soul again. Yeah, there's a lot more uh, resources out there. You know, Al-Anon, we, I've mentioned, is a fabulous place if you're looking for group support. At Al-Anon, members also learn that no individual is responsible for another person's disease or recovery from it. I think that's important to understand, too, that this is their recovery. So if they do recover, you, can, you have to let that be separate as well. You can't be in their face about their recovery. It's theirs. You can't change them. It's their program. You can be supportive, but you can't control them. And there are a lot of churches that have support groups for people in Al-Anon as well. If you're asking if your life has been affected by someone else's drinking, these questions that I'm going to read are to leave our listeners with help to decide whether you might need to put some of these things in place or maybe you need to go to Al-Anon and get help. Um, Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you have money problems because of someone else's drinking? Do you tell lies to cover up someone else's drinking? Do you feel that if the drinker cared about you, he or she would stop drinking to please you? Do you blame the drinker's behavior on his or her companions? Are plans frequently upset or canceled or meals delayed because of the drinker? Do you make threats such as, if you don't stop drinking, I'm going to leave you? Do you secretly try to smell the drinker's breath? Are you afraid to upset someone for fear it will set off drinking? Have you been hurt or embarrassed by someone's drinking behaviors? Are holidays and gatherings spoiled because of drinking? Have you considered calling the police and help of fear or abuse? So these are just, I mean, there's a whole bunch of them. If you go onto the Al-Anon website, it's an actual questionnaire that is designed to help you decide whether or not maybe you might need to get some help with codependency or with dealing with an addict in your life. And that's just for drinking, and you can replace that with anything. Anything. Gambling. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just a pretty solid guideline on if you need help. It is time for Break That Shit Down. So when is enough enough? It's time to make a plan. You need to do different. 
We need to change the way we look at things because when we do, the things we're looking at change too. Mm. Their addiction is not your responsibility. We each are responsible for our own. Yes, and with that, you know it helped me to tweak my thoughts and get out of victim mode and say, I am a survivor. I am not a victim. I am a survivor. That's right. And Shanna and I are here to offer you hope because we found ourselves and our happiness within the midst of someone else's tornado and detached from it. And you can do it too. That's right. Get support. You're not alone. Alan on the other programs we talked about, read books, educate yourself, mm-hmm. put up those boundaries, protection, put that unfuckable bubble up. Yes, and go back to episode one on self-love, people, because that's where it starts. Next week, our podcast is going to be on meditation, which meditation saved me through my dysfunctional, toxic relationships. Yeah, I can remember a lot of the times when I did need to physically remove myself and detach, that's where I would go. I would go to a safe place where I would meditate because I needed to go with the N and connect myself to my mind, body, and soul. So we have talked about meditation, Mandy, in like almost every episode. So I know. Uh, finally, we're finally <laughs> getting into that one. Our journey took us there. But right. yeah, Shannon and I both talked about how meditation was huge in our awakening and in our recovery from being on the flip side of addiction. We have enjoyed so much um, sharing with you guys our journey And we have put countless hours and love and dedication and research editing into our podcast each week in hopes that we are inspiring you and reaching your soul all the way out to other countries. (laughs) That's so awesome. Um, We have been asked how one can donate to our purpose, and we have put a donate button on our website. Oh, I thought you said a donut button. A donut? I mean, I'll take donuts. (laughs) Um, So you can find that at mysenseofsoul.com on our homepage. Click on Sense of Soul podcast and hit the donut donate button. <laughs> Apparently we're hungry. Hit the donate button. Um, and may the exchange of our energy through donation, no matter the value, expand with abundance for all of us. So thank you so much for your support. Yes. And you know what, you guys, if you have any questions about any of these topics or you just want to pick our brain or, you know, again, we would love to get to know you. Please continue and reach out. Yeah, without your support, this podcast would not even exist. We hope you will join us next week as we continue our journey. Don't forget, if you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe. If you're feeling it, you can even donate now. Okay, we rise to lift you up. Thanks for listening. Bye.